From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, in Oregon, KYAQ Central Coast, Queso Cottage Grove, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WTPA, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Red Bluff, Redding, California, KFOI, Round Mountain, California, KKRN, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing the Globe, five days a week. Usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but today... Brad and Desi are on the road. I'm sitting in. I'm Angie Cuero, the host of In Deep with Angie Cuero, heard on many of these same stations and streams. <sighs> what a day. In the age of Trump, a lot of days, you don't even know where to start with the news. Bombs here, dumpster fires there. It's usually hard to put a pin down and say, this is where we start. For better or worse, that is not the case today. Everything wrong with today's GOP and the Trump administration has come to a head in the trial Let's just call it what it is. It's a trial of a victim first of sexual assault, then of death threats that drove her into hiding, and now of an assemblage of hostile men who won't even speak for themselves. No, they had to put a woman in front of them. A hired gun. There is more that's happening that's not in the headlines. A quick review of those first. We don't want to miss these stories, let them fall through the crack, but then to the trial of Christine Lazy Ford. The Koch brothers in the persons of Americans for Prosperity, is very much in the news. The Guardian UK, and hey, thanks to The Guardian, they covered so much good stuff today. Most of my stories are coming from there. They ran a very important story with kind of an unfortunate headline, How the Koch Brothers Built the Most Powerful Right-Wing Group You've Never Heard Of. Okay, if you haven't heard of Americans for Prosperity, this must be the first broadcast you have ever tuned in for. It is, in fact, covered by a lot of media, but... To the Guardian's credit, they're covering it again and very thoroughly. The piece is valuable. It has already been picked up by Newsweek and other outlets. And yes, of course, the more people that learn about the Kochs and the Americans for Prosperity, the better. The diminishing power of unions is in a lot of ways a nonpartisan issue. Chris Hedges points out that if you go into the old company towns where the machinery is now stilled and rusting and the work disappeared with NAFTA, you will find plenty of right-wing union support. So... Here's the guts of that Guardian piece for union supporters. AFP's laser-like focus on anti-union legislation is in part driven by the Koch's libertarian embrace of free markets and limited government. But it also reflects strategic calculations. AFP has recognized that to make lasting changes in U.S. politics, the Koch network would need to permanently weaken the organizations that support liberal candidates and causes, and above all, the labor movement. Reflecting on why conservatives failed to build power in earlier decades, AFP's national president, Tim Phillips, explained that Democrats, quote, had the public employee unions, which have only gotten stronger, have only been better funded, have only gotten better organized, end quote, to succeed in electing conservative candidates and promoting right-leaning policy then, AFP would need to hobble unions, especially those in the public sector that were powerful state-level allies of Democrats. 
The members of AFP who helped brainstorm Walker's efforts knew the legislation would impact union membership and go far beyond it. Since the passage of the anti-union bill, Wisconsin, of course, public union membership rates in Wisconsin have plummeted by more than half, falling from around 50 percent in 2011 to around 19 percent by 2017. With fewer members and revenue, the political clout of the labor unions has fallen sharply. Campaign contributions by teachers unions to state and local races have fallen by nearly 70 percent. The consequence, a profound and long-term decline in Democrats' chance of securing office in the state. Back to The Guardian. It reports today that Donald Trump has put off his meeting with his punching bag, Rod Rosenstein. Quote, Donald Trump on Wednesday postponed a planned meeting with the deputy attorney general amid uncertainty over his future at the Department of Justice. The meeting now looks likely to take place next week. The White House issued a statement saying the administration did not want to interfere with the Kavanaugh hearings underway. Maybe he'd rather have interfered with it. Gabriel Sherman of Vanity Fair quotes two sources, not one but two, saying that Trump is furious with what he's seen at the hearing so far, quote, raging at how bad this has been for Republicans. Trump told people Ford, quote, seems credible per second source, a woman who might be believed. Donald Trump's worst nightmare. You know, the very same people who are resenting Professor Ford's pain might be pleased to hear that immigrants without papers are so frightened now they're risking the hunger and health of their children. One last Guardian story. U.S. immigrants have begun to remove themselves from public housing waiting lists, child care subsidy programs, and the food stamp program out of fears that a rule proposed on Saturday night could jeopardize their immigration status. The Department of Homeland Security's public charge rule would make it more difficult for people to qualify for green cards and other visas if they use or have used public benefits. Immigrants began purging themselves from public assistance programs when a draft version of the rule leaked earlier this year. Yay. Hungry kids. Woohoo! God bless America. At least they're still with their families for the moment. The Washington Post is reporting that the SEC is going after Elon Musk for allegedly lying to shareholders. You remember that little Twitter flare-up when Musk said he had the funding to take Tesla private? Then the stock dropped more than 6%. Yeah, maybe he should not have said that. The SEC is quoting Musk's false and misleading public statements and omissions, causing significant confusion and disruption in the market for Tesla stock and resulting harm to investors. Here's something that's been a little too long in coming. Congressman Keith Ellison wants a House ethics investigation into assault allegations against him. His former girlfriend said over a month ago that he shouted obscenities at her and tried to drag her off a bed. There have been complaints from the right, including from the woman herself, that this has not been given the attention of sexual and other assault allegations against people in power. I can't help but agree with that. took me a long time to see it, and I'm a new sound. At any rate... Ellison is now asking for the House ethics investigation. To quote the New York Times, Mr. Ellison, who is also running for state attorney general in Minnesota, made the announcement Wednesday in a statement shared with news media outlets. Mr. Ellison denied the allegations but called for an investigation nonetheless. 
in an attempt to clear his name. He said, I am taking this step now because I am innocent and eager to see this entire matter resolved. So we're going to move over to excerpts of today's hearing in just a moment, but I want to share this last story with you to frame that coverage out of the news today from the Washington Post. Moments before a much-anticipated hearing Thursday about sexual assault allegations against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, Fox News Channel anchor Chris Wallace said his own daughters revealed details about incidents they had faced during their adolescence. Two of my daughters told me stories I had never heard before about things that happened to them in high school. Wallace acknowledged the allegations were not as serious as those against Kavanaugh, but he said, the point is, there are teenage girls who don't tell stories to a lot of people, and then it comes up. And I don't think we can disregard that, he added. I don't think we can disregard Christine Blasey Ford and the seriousness of this. I think that would be a big mistake. We have finally discovered what it takes for someone who works for Fox Fox News to believe a woman. It's too bad it took that. You know, I have an interesting anecdote to share with you before we go over to the hearing, and that is a conversation that I and my producer and our assistant engineer were having with our engineer one day. When I refer to that, it's, it's the in-deep crew. We were all talking one day. Engineer is a man in his eh, mid-30s, early 30s. Somehow, the conversation got around to sexual assault. And each of the women standing around him had at least one story, in some cases secondhand, but most of us in the first person, about what happens to women every day at the hands of men. He was stunned. He had no idea that he could ask this random assemblage of people in his immediate circle, and we would say, oh, yeah, X, Y, Z happened to me, slash my daughter, slash my friend. We all had a story. And each of us women None of us was surprised that the others had stories. None of us were surprised at those stories. We were surprised that he was surprised, and he was surprised at us. And that is life in these United States. I'm Angie Coiro. This is the broadcast. Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the Bradcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. I'm Angie Crow. It is a travel day for Brad and Desi. Different faces presented to Brett Kavanaugh hearings today by Christine Blasey Ford and her alleged assailant could not have been more different. Dr. Ford was gentle, a little halting, exceedingly polite. Judge Kavanaugh was angry, interruptive, confrontational, and belligerent. Ford declined to answer only when her lawyer quietly advised her to steer clear of the questions. Kavanaugh went toe-to-toe with anybody who wanted a straight answer. Christine Blasey Ford's testimony as to what happened that night has cost her so much, will continue to cost her for the rest of her life, 
It deserves to be heard in full. I'm going to play that whole account for you. I understand and appreciate the importance of your hearing from me directly about what happened to me and the impact that it has had on my life and on my family. I grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. I attended the Holton Arms School in Bethesda, Maryland from 1978 to 1984. Holton Arms is an all-girls school that opened in 1901. During my time at the school, Girls at Holton Arms frequently met and became friendly with boys from all boys' schools in the area, including the Landon School, Georgetown Prep, Gonzaga High School, as well as our country clubs and other places where kids and families socialized. This is how I met Brett Kavanaugh, the boy who sexually assaulted me. During my freshman and sophomore school years, when I was 14 and 15 years old, my group of friends intersected with Brett and his friends for a short period of time. I had been friendly with a classmate of Brett's for a short time during my freshman and sophomore year. And it was through that connection that I attended a number of parties that Brett also attended. We did not know each other well, but I knew him and he knew me. In the summer of 1982, like most summers, I spent most every day at the Columbia Country Club in Chevy Chase, Maryland, swimming and practicing diving. One evening that summer, after a day of diving at the club, I attended a small gathering at a house in the Bethesda area. There were four boys I remember specifically being at the house. Brett Kavanaugh, Mark Judge, a boy named PJ, and one other boy whose name I cannot recall. I also remember my friend Leland attending. I do not remember all of the details of how that gathering came together, but like many that summer, it was almost surely a spur of the moment gathering. I truly wish I could be more helpful with more detailed answers to all of the questions that have and will be asked about how I got to the party and where it took place and so forth. I don't have all the answers, and I don't remember as much as I would like to. But the details that, about that night that bring me here today are the ones I will never forget. They have been seared into my memory and have haunted me episodically as an adult. When I got to the small gathering, people were drinking beer in a small living room, family room type area on the first floor of the house. I drank one beer. Brett and Mark were visibly drunk. Early in the evening, I went up a very narrow set of stairs leading from the living room to a second floor to use the restroom. When I got to the top of the stairs, I was pushed from behind into a bedroom across from the bathroom. I couldn't see who pushed me. Brett and Mark came into the bedroom and locked the door behind them. There was music playing in the bedroom. It was turned up louder by either Brett or Mark once we were in the room. I was pushed onto the bed and Brett got on top of me. He began running his hands over my body and grinding into me. I yelled, hoping that someone downstairs might hear me. And I tried to get away from him, but his weight was heavy. 
Brett groped me and tried to take off my clothes. He had a hard time because he was very inebriated and because I was wearing a one-piece bathing suit underneath my clothing. I believed he was going to rape me. I tried to yell for help. When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. This is what terrified me the most and has had the most lasting impact on my life. It was hard for me to breathe, and I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me. Both Brett and Mark were drunkenly laughing during the attack. They seemed to be having a very good time. Mark seemed ambivalent, at times urging Brett on, and at times telling him to stop. A couple of times I made eye contact with Mark and thought he might try to help me, but he did not. During this assault, Mark came over and jumped on the bed twice while Brett was on top of me. And the last time that he did this, we toppled over and Brett was no longer on top of me. I was able to get up and run out of the room. Directly across from the bedroom was a small bathroom. I ran inside the bathroom and locked the door. I waited until I heard Brett and Mark leave the bedroom, laughing and loudly walk down the narrow stairway, pinballing off the walls on the way down. I waited, and when I did not hear them come back up the stairs, I left the bathroom, went down the same stairwell, through the living room, and left the house. I remember being on the street and feeling an enormous sense of relief that I had escaped that house and that Brett and Mark were not coming outside after me. Brett's assault on me drastically altered my life. For a very long time, I was too afraid and ashamed to tell anyone these details. I did not want to tell my parents that I, at age 15, was in a house without any parents present, drinking beer with boys. I convinced myself that because Brett did not rape me, I should just move on and just pretend that it didn't happen. Over the years, I told very, very few friends that I had this traumatic experience. I told my husband before we were married that I had experienced a sexual assault. I had never told the details to anyone, the specific details, until May 2012 during a couple's counseling session. The reason this came up in counseling is that my husband and I had completed a very extensive, very long remodel of our home, and I insisted on a second front door an idea that he and others disagreed with and could not understand. In explaining why I wanted a second front door, I began to describe the assault in detail. I recall saying that the boy who assaulted me could someday be on the US Supreme Court and spoke a bit about his background at an elitist all-boys school in Bethesda, Maryland. My husband recalls that I named my attacker as Brett Kavanaugh. After that May 2012 therapy session, I did my best to ignore the memories of the assault because recounting them caused me to relive the experience and caused panic and anxiety. 
Occasionally, I would discuss the assault in an individual therapy session, but talking about it caused more reliving of the trauma, so I tried not to think about it or discuss it. But over the years, I went through periods where I thought about the attack. I had confided in some close friends that I had had an experience with sexual assault. Occasionally, I stated that my assailant was a prominent lawyer or judge, but I did not use his name. I do not recall each person I spoke to about Brett's assault. And some friends have reminded me of these conversations since the publication of the Washington Post story on September 16th, 2018. But until July 2018, I had never named Mr. Kavanaugh as my attacker outside of therapy. This changed in early July 2018. I saw press reports stating that Brett Kavanaugh was on the short list of a list of very well-qualified Supreme Court nominees. I thought it was my civic duty to relay the information I had about Mr. Kavanaugh's conduct so that those considering his nomination would know about this assault. On July 6th, I had a sense of urgency to relay the information to the Senate and the President as soon as possible before a nominee was selected. I did not know how specifically to do this. I called my congressional representative and let her receptionist know that someone on the president's shortlist had attacked me. I also sent a message to the encrypted Washington Post confidential tip line. I did not use my name, but I provided the names of Brett Kavanaugh and Mark Judge. I stated that Mr. Kavanaugh had assaulted me in the 1980s in Maryland. This was an extremely hard thing for me to do, but I felt that I couldn't not do it. Over the next two days, I told a couple of close friends on the beach in Aptos, California, that Mr. Kavanaugh had sexually assaulted me. I was very conflicted as to whether to speak out. On July 9th, I received a return phone call from the office of Congresswoman Anna Eshoo after Mr. Kavanaugh had become the nominee. I met with her staff on July 18th and with her on July 20th, describing the assault and discussing my fears about coming forward. Later, we discussed the possibility of sending a letter to Ranking Member Feinstein, who is one of my state senators, describing what occurred. My understanding is that Representative Eshoo's office delivered a copy of my letter to Senator Feinstein's office on July 30th. The letter included my name, but also a request that it be kept confidential. My hope was that providing the information confidentially would be sufficient to allow the Senate to consider Mr. Kavanaugh's serious misconduct without having to make myself, my family, or anyone's family vulnerable to the personal attacks and invasions of privacy that we have faced since my name became public. In a letter dated August 31st, Senator Feinstein wrote that she would not share the letter without my explicit consent, and I appreciated this commitment. Sexual assault victims should be able to decide for themselves when and whether their private experience is made public. As the hearing date got closer, I struggled with a terrible choice. Do I share 
the facts with the Senate and put myself and my family in the public spotlight? Or do I preserve our privacy and allow the Senate to make its decision without knowing the full truth of his past behaviors? I agonized daily with this decision throughout August and September 2018. The sense of duty that originally motiva motivated me to reach out confidentially to the Washington Post and to Anna Eshoo's office when there was still a list of extremely qualified candidates and to Senator Feinstein was always there, but my fears of the consequences of speaking out started to exponentially increase. During August 2018, the press reported that Mr. Kavanaugh's confirmation was virtually certain. Persons painted him as a champion of women's rights and empowerment. And I believed that if I came forward, my single voice would be drowned out by a chorus of powerful supporters. By the time of the confirmation hearings, I had resigned myself to remaining quiet and letting the committee in the Senate make their decision without knowing what Mr. Kavanaugh had done to me. Once the press started reporting on the existence of the letter I had sent to Senator Feinstein, I faced mounting pressure. Reporters appeared at my home and at my workplace, demanding information about the letter in the presence of my graduate students. They called my bosses and coworkers and left me many messages, making it clear that my name would inevitably be released to the media. I decided to speak out publicly to a journalist who had originally responded to the tip I had sent to the Washington Post and who had gained my trust. It was important for me to describe the details of the assault in my own words. Since September 16th, the date of the Washington Post story, I have experienced an outpouring of support from people in every state of this country. Thousands and thousands of people who have had their lives dramatically altered by sexual violence have reached out to share their experience and have thanked me for coming forward. We have received tremendous support from our friends and our community. At the same time, my greatest fears have been realized and the reality has been far worse than what I expected. My family and I have been the target of constant harassment and death threats, and I have been called the most vile and hateful names imaginable. These messages, while far fewer than the expressions of support, have been terrifying and have rocked me to my core. People have posted my personal information and that of my parents online on the internet. This has resulted in additional emails, calls, and threats. My family and I were forced to move out of our home. Since September 16th, my family and I have been visiting in various secure locales, at times separated and at times together, with the help of security guards. This past Tuesday evening, my work email was hacked and messages were sent out trying to recant my description of the sexual assault. Apart from the assault itself, these past couple of weeks have been the hardest of my life. I've had to relive this trauma in front of the world. And I've seen my life picked apart by people on television, on Twitter, other social media, 
other media, and in this body who have never met me or spoken with me. I have been accused of acting out of partisan political motives. Those who say that do not know me. I am an independent person and I am no one's pawn. My motivation in coming forward was to be helpful and to provide facts about how Mr. Kavanaugh's actions have damaged my life so that you could take into a serious consideration as you make your decision about how to proceed. It is not my responsibility to determine whether Mr. Kavanaugh deserves to sit on the Supreme Court. My responsibility is to tell you the truth. I understand that a professional prosecutor has been hired to ask me questions, and I'm committed to doing my very best to answer them. I have never been questioned by a prosecutor, and I will do my best. At the same time, because the committee members will be judging my credibility, I do hope to be able to engage directly with each of you. And at this point, I will do my best to answer your questions. Okay, here's some contrast for you now. Kavanaugh, under question. The judge said in his opening statement that he has welcomed and does welcome any investigation into these charges. Senator Dianne Feinstein tried to pin him down as to whether that meant an FBI investigation. Would he welcome an FBI investigation? And he blathered and he dodged and he ducked and he was openly hostile. Feinstein was not alone in these efforts. Listen to these exchanges with Senators Patrick Leahy and Dick Durbin. Senator Leahy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Judge, you said before and again today that... uh, Mark Judge was a close friend of yours in high school. Now, Dr. Ford, as you know, said that he was in the room when she was attacked. She also says you were, too. Unfortunately, the FBI has never interviewed him. Um, We would not be able to have his attendance here. The chairman um, refuses to call him. If she's saying Mark Judge was in the room then, then he should be in the room here today. Uh, Would you want him called as a witness? Senator, this allegation came into the committee. No, no, I'm just asking the question. Would you want him to be here as a witness? He's he's already provided sworn testimony to the committee. This allegation has been hidden by the committee, by by members of the committee. It hasn't been... It has not been investigated by the FBI. The committee has refused to allow it to be. It was dropped on me. It was sprung. It was not investigated by the FBI, and he has not been called where he might be under. Should have been handled in the due course, Senator, when he came in. I would would disagree with that. I've been on this committee 44 years, both Republicans and Democrats. I've never seen somebody that critical and not allowed to be here to uh, called to be testified or an FBI background, but let me. He's, add, he's provided sworn testimony, and the and, uh, he and, has, and Senator. He has not Senator, been. let me let me finish. He uh, the 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 allegation came in weeks ago, and and nothing was done with it by the ranking member, uh, and then it sprung Judge, on me. Judge Kavanaugh, I've heard your your line, and you you stated it over and over again, and uh, I have that well in mind. But let me ask you this: He authored a book titled "Wasted: Tales of a." Gen X drunk. He references a Bart O'Kavanaugh vomiting in someone's car during Beach Week and then passing out. Is that you that he's talking about? 
Senator uh, Mark Judge uh, was. To your knowledge, is that you that he's talking about? I'll explain if you let me. Pro proceed, please. Mark Judge was a friend of ours in high school who developed a very serious drinking problem, an addiction problem that lasted decades and was very difficult for him to, to escape from. And uh, he nearly died. And then he, developed, then he had leukemia as well on top of it. Now, as part of his therapy, or part of his coming to grips with sobriety, he wrote a book that is a fictionalized book uh, and an account. I think he picked out names of friends of ours to throw them in as kind of close to what for characters in the book. So, so you know, you we can sit what, here. We don't know whether that's you or not. We can sit here you know and you know, like make, make fun of some guy who has an addiction. I'm not making I don't think fun that of really anybody, makes uh, is really good. I'm trying to get a straight answer from you under oath. Are you Bart Kavanaugh that he's referring to? Yes or no? That's You'd easy. have to ask him. Well, I agree with you there. And that's why I wish that the uh, chairman had him here under oath. Now, you talked about your yearbook. Uh, in your yearbook, uh, you talked about drinking and sexual exploits, did you not? Senator, let me, uh, let me take a step back and explain uh, high school. Uh, I was number one in the class. Freshman. I, and I thought but, only no, 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 no. I thought only the Senate. You got this up. I'm going to. I'm going to talk about my high school. No, no. I'm going to let him answer. I'm going to talk about my high school record. If you're going to sit here and mock me, we, we, we were. I think we were all very fair to Dr. Ford. Shouldn't we be just as fair to Judge Kavanaugh? Say, I busted my butt in academics. I always tried to do the best I could. So I recall I finished one in the class, first in, uh, you know, freshman and junior year, right up at the top with Steve Clark and Eddie Ayala. We were always kind of in the mix. I, I played sports. I was captain of the varsity basketball team. I was wide receiver and defensive back on the football team. I ran track in the spring of 82 to try to get faster. I did my um, service projects at the school, which involved going to the soup kitchen downtown. Let me finish. And going to tutor intellectually disabled kids at the Rockville Library. Went to church. And yes, we got together with our friends. Does this reflect what you are? Does this yearbook reflect your I, focus on academics and your respect for women? That's easy, yes or no. You don't have to filibuster the answer. Senator Durbin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh, you said, I welcome any kind of investigation. I quote you. I welcome any kind of investigation. I've got a suggestion for you. Right now, turn to your left in the front row to Don McGahn, counsel to President Donald Trump. Ask him to suspend this hearing and nomination process until the FBI completes its investigation of the charges made by Dr. Ford and others and goes to bring the witnesses forward and provides that information to this hearing. I'm sure that the chairman at that point will understand that that is a reasonable request to finally put to rest these charges if they are false or to prove them if they are not. You spent two years in the White House office that approved judicial nominees. You turned to the FBI over and over and over again for their work. 
turn to Don McGahn and tell him it's time to get this done. An FBI investigation is the only way to answer some of these questions. And say, for the sake of my reputation, my family name, and to get to the bottom of the truth of this, I am not going to be an obstacle to an FBI investigation. I would hope that all the members of the committee would join me in saying, we're going to abide by your wish wishes, and we will have that investigation. I, I welcome whatever the committee wants to do, because I'm telling the truth. I want to know what you want to do. I, I'm telling the truth. I want to know what you want to do, Judge. I'm innocent. I'm innocent of this charge. And you're prepared for an FBI investigation? They don't reach conclusions. You reach the conclusions, No, Senator. but they do investigate questions. I'm, I'm and innocent. And you can't have it both ways, Judge. You can't say here at the beginning, I wanted a hearing moment, Look, I welcome thing, any kind of investigation. This thing was sprung on me. This. this thing was sprung at the last minute after being held by staff, you know. Judge, and I called for, no I called for a to, hearing immediately. If there is no truth to her charges, the FBI investigation will show that. Are you afraid that they might not? Leahy and Durbin trying to get straight answers out of Brett Kavanaugh. More coming up on the broadcast. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I feel guilt. I feel guilt. No, I ain't done nothing wrong. I feel guilt. I feel guilt. I feel guilt. Though I know I've done no wrong. I feel guilt. I feel bad. So bad. Though I ain't done nothing it's wrong. It's the broadcast. I'm Angie Claro digging further into the Kavanaugh hearings today, and I'm very lucky to be able to bring back Jody Jacobson to the show. She's joined me here before, and she will join us again tomorrow. She's giving us her commentary on the hearings as they happen. She's the editor-in-chief of Rewire.News, formerly RH Reality Check. Jody, I suspect you've been as, as riveted as I have today. Do you have any general impressions of how this is going? You know, I don't really feel I have a sense of impression and how it's going in terms of how people will be voting. I think that um, we saw in Dr. Ford an obviously highly credible witness with the kind of um, seared or baked in memories that someone who's experienced a trauma has. Mm -hmm. And she was clear and articulate and calm in presenting her story and the, um, the effects of what happened had on her and her life. Um, you know, contrasted by about 15 or 20 minutes of uh, Brett Kavanaugh basically becoming unhinged um, and very angry, very entitled, very um, uh, sort of bullying in a way. And it reminded me, and folks have been talking about this, you know, I do think that he is either or was an alcoholic, which is not shameful by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But if you are not caring for yourself and admitting it and you, you, you know, your alcoholism hurts others, that is a problem. And I think that what we saw was a combination of partisanship and anger that does not become a federal judge, never mind a Supreme Court justice. And it's kind of characteristic in a way of 
alcoholic behavior. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I wondered about that myself, and I, I appreciate what you said. There is nothing shameful in being an alcoholic. But we're talking about someone who, if in fact his earlier indicated drinking was an idea of what was meant for him in the future, or even if you take it at face value that he was drunk at the time, he could easily have been in blackout. There's no saying that he would recall what he was doing. I do want to go to his affect right. in right. in the in the beginning of his statement. You know, he 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 very quickly got extremely emotional, voice breaking, tears falling. And one thing that gives me pause about how people are reacting to this was I had seen earlier in the day commentary online saying, she's faking, look, she's crying, what an actress. And when he began to do the same, it was, look how damaged this man is. Look look how badly he has been beat up upon. There's no saying whether that's going through the minds of the people who will vote him in or out. But it's alarming, if not surprising at all to me, that that's the way this is going down with some people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that is not at all surprising to me either. I think the problem with the issue of the people that will vote him in or out is that well before any of these allegations arose and were made public, this man had effectively, by any rational yardstick, disqualified himself because he lied under oath several times about several critical issues, including emails he had in his possession, knowledge of whether or not he knew about uh, the behavior and and her sexual harassment carried out by Alex Kaczynski, who was one of his mentors. Um, there's so many different areas in which he's disqualifiable from this position uh, and which uh, several GOP senators uh, are trying to find a reason to look the other way. Mm. But then you have on top of this, and now he's sort of the, you know, um, the 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 angry uh, you know angry man and I I just think you know, of course you know people are going to say oh you know she's angry she's crying she's emotional and then he's you know being righteous or he's being honest or he's being yeah whatever it's it's really problematic I don't know how we get around that but the problem is that in this moment I think a lot of it does come down to um, to how these senators that are supposedly still on the fence perceive that. Do you buy that any of them are still on the fence? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it's a good question. I I think that they have their finger in the wind along with a lot of other people about how this, this whole hearing is going to come out. It's just starting again. How, how it's going to unfold. Um because they know a huge backlash is coming to them. And, the, and the, the sort of inside, you know, story is that they want to get him on the court no matter what. And then um, and then uh, uh, deal with the loss of the Senate and House later. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think he may well be impeached afterwards, but. Um, I don't know how that process will play out. Yeah, I know there are several moves to, to move against him legally already to remove him from his current seat. So, the, you know, that yes. definitely bears watching. Yes. I don't know if you had a chance to see Lindsey Graham's comments between uh, breaks in the session. 
All I can deal with is what's in front of me. I've got, I've got a guy who adamantly denies this. Everybody who actually knows him in a real way say, this is not the guy I know. I got Dr. Ford, who can't tell me the time and the place, and we'll see what happens. Maybe something comes out. Are you going to vote tomorrow? Well, I, I, I intend Will to. Will this I'm be sorry. enough for some Republicans not to vote for her? Well, let me put it this way to my Republican colleagues. <clears throat> if this becomes the new standard, where you have an accusation for weeks, you drop it right before the hearing, you withhold from the committee a chance to, to do this in a uh, professional, timely fashion, when they publicly say that their goal is to delay the vote, get the Senate back in 2018 to make sure he can't fill the seat. They're publicly saying that. I don't want to reward that kind of behavior. I think we've been very fair. And to my Republican colleagues, if you can ignore everything in this record, Look at an allegation that's 35 years old, that's uncertain in time, place, date, and no corroboration. If that's enough for you, God help us all as Republicans, because this happens to us. It never happens to them. But let me tell you, my Democratic friends, if this is the new norm, you better watch out for your nominees. Thank you, Thank you Senator. Thank you, Senator. Well, I did. Yeah. And, and just your thoughts on that, please. Um, well, Lindsey Graham is a very entitled misogynistic man, and he played the role of that misogynistic man in the hallway of the Senate. He clearly feels himself the victim. He clearly thought that um, Dr. Ford was very credible and was upset by that. Um, and he actually also told a woman who told him that she had been raped that she should have called the cops and then stepped into an elevator. So I do think, you know, Lindsey Graham is who he is. I think he's very dishonest. Um, he's, from all appearances, become increasingly dishonest, and um, and that was who he is. He's a misogynist. Mm -hmm. Any other comments before I let you go, Jody? I know we're going to have the pleasure of talking to you again tomorrow. Uh, any last thoughts on today's hearing? Um, I don't think so right now. I think at the end of this, it will be a little bit clearer what's going on. I hope so, and I hope it's good news. Jody, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Jody Jacobson with Rewired.News. We'll talk to her again tomorrow. Lest I be considered unfair, playing only the victim's opening statement at the trial, excuse me, the hearing, listen now to the anger, the despair, the how can this be happening to me monologue by Kavanaugh himself. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Feinstein, members of the committee, thank you for allowing me to make my statement I wrote it myself yesterday afternoon and evening. No one has seen a draft or it except for one of my former law clerks. This is my statement. Less than two weeks ago, Dr. Ford publicly accused me of committing wrongdoing at an event more than 36 years ago when we were both in high school. I denied the allegation immediately, categorically, and unequivocally, all four people allegedly at the event, including Dr. Ford's longtime friend, Ms. Kaiser, have said they recall no such event. Her longtime friend, Ms. Kaiser, said under penalty of felony that she does not know me and does not believe she ever saw me at a party ever. Here is the quote from Ms. Kaiser's attorney's letter. Quote, Simply put, Ms. Kaiser does not know Mr. Kavanaugh 
and she has no recollection of ever being at a party or gathering where he was present, with or without Dr. Ford, end quote. Think about that fact. The day after the allegation appeared, I told this committee that I wanted a hearing as soon as possible to clear my name. I demanded a hearing for the very next day. Unfortunately, it took the committee 10 days to get to this hearing. In those 10 long days, as was predictable and as I predicted, my family and my name have been totally and permanently destroyed <coughs> by vicious and false additional accusations. The 10-day delay has been harmful to me and my family, to the Supreme Court, and to the country. When this allegation first arose, I welcomed any kind of investigation, Senate, FBI, or otherwise. The committee now has conducted a thorough investigation, and I've cooperated fully. I know that any kind of investigation, Senate, FBI, Montgomery County Police, whatever, will clear me. Listen to the people I know. Listen to the people who have known me my whole life. Listen to the people I've grown up with and worked with and played with and coached with and dated and taught and gone to games with and had beers with. And listen to the witnesses who allegedly were at this event 36 years ago. Listen to Ms. Kaiser. She does not know me. I was not at the party described by Dr. Ford. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. The Constitution gives the Senate an important role in the confirmation process, but you have replaced advice and consent with search and destroy. Since my nomination in July, there has been a frenzy on the left to come up with something, anything, to block my confirmation. Shortly after I was nominated, the Democratic Senate leader said he would, quote, oppose me with everything he's got. A Democratic senator on this committee publicly, publicly referred to me as evil. Evil. Think about that word. And said that those who supported me were, quote, complicit in evil. Another Democratic senator on this committee said, quote, Judge Kavanaugh is your worst nightmare. A former head of the Democratic National Committee said, quote, Judge Kavanaugh will threaten the lives of millions of Americans for decades to come. I understand the passions of the moment, but I would say to those senators, your words have meaning. Millions of Americans listened carefully to you. Given comments like those, is it any surprise that people have been willing to do anything to make any physical threat against my family, to send any violent email to my wife, to make any kind of allegation against me and against my friends, to blow me up and take me down? You sowed the wind, 
for decades to come, I fear that the whole country will reap the whirlwind. The behavior of several of the Democratic members of this committee at my hearing a few weeks ago was an embarrassment. But at least it was just a good old-fashioned attempt at borking. Those efforts didn't work when I did at least okay enough at the hearings that it looked like I might actually get confirmed, a new tactic was needed. Some of you were lying in wait and had it ready. This first allegation was held in secret for weeks by a Democratic member of this committee and by staff. It would be needed only if you couldn't take me out on the merits. When it was needed, this allegation was unleashed and publicly deployed over Dr. Ford's wishes. And then, and then, as no doubt was expected, if not planned, came a long series of false last-minute smears designed to scare me and drive me out of the process before any hearing occurred. Crazy stuff. Gangs, illegitimate children, fights on boats in Rhode Island, all nonsense reported breathlessly and often uncritically by the media. This has destroyed my family and my good name, a good name built up through decades of very hard work and public service at the highest levels of the American government. This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit fueled with apparent pent-up anger about President Trump and the 2016 election, fear that has been unfairly stoked about my judicial record, revenge on behalf of the Clintons, and millions of dollars in money from outside left-wing opposition groups. This is a circus. The consequences will extend long past my nomination. The consequences will be with us for decades. This grotesque and coordinated character assassination will dissuade competent and good people of all political persuasions from serving our country. And as we all know, in the United States political system of the early 2000s, what goes around comes around. I am an optimistic guy. I always try to be on the sunrise side of the mountain, to be optimistic about the day that is coming. But today, I have to say that I fear for the future. Last time I was here, I told this committee that a federal judge must be independent, not swayed by public or political pressure. I said I was such a judge, and I am. I will not be intimidated into withdrawing from this process. You've tried hard. You've given it your all. No one can question your effort. But your coordinated and well-funded effort to destroy my good name and destroy my family will not drive me out. The vile threats of violence against my family will not drive me out. You may defeat me in the final vote, but you'll never get me to quit. Never. I'm here today to tell the truth. I've never sexually assaulted anyone, not in high school, not in college, 
Not ever. Sexual assault is horrific. One of my closest friends to this day is a woman who was sexually abused and who in the 1990s, when we were in our 30s, confided in me about the abuse and sought my advice. I was one of the only people she consulted. Allegations of sexual assault must always be taken seriously, always. Those who make allegations always deserve to be heard. At the same time, the person who is the subject of the allegations also deserves to be heard. Due process is a foundation of the American rule of law. Due process means listening to both sides. As I told you at my hearing three weeks ago, I'm the only child of Martha and Ed Cavanaugh. They are here today. When I was 10, my mom went to law school, and as a lawyer, she worked hard and overcame barriers, including the workplace sexual harassment that so many women faced at the time and still face today. She became a trailblazer, one of Maryland's earliest women prosecutors and trial judges. She and my dad taught me the importance of equality and respect for all people, and she inspired me to be a lawyer and a judge. Last time I was here, I told you that when my mom was a prosecutor and I was in high school, she used to practice her closing arguments at the dining room table on my dad and me. As I told you, her trademark line was, use your common sense. What rings true? What rings false? Her trademark line is a good reminder as we sit here today, some 36 years after the alleged event occurred, when there is no corroboration, and indeed it is refuted by the people allegedly there. After I have been in the public arena for 26 years without even a hint, a whiff of an allegation like this, and when my nomination to the Supreme Court was just about to be voted on at a time when I'm called evil by a Democratic member of this committee, while Democratic opponents of my nomination say people will die if I am confirmed. This onslaught of last-minute allegations does not ring true. I'm not questioning that Dr. Ford may have been sexually assaulted by some person in some place at some time. But I have never done this to her or to anyone. That's not who I am. It is not who I was. I am innocent of this charge. I intend no ill will to Dr. Ford and her family. The other night, Ashley and my daughter Liza said their prayers. And little Liza, all 10 years old, said to Ashley, we should pray for the woman. It's a lot of wisdom from a 10-year-old. We mean, we mean no ill will. Okay, that's all I can take. I'm Angie Quero. We're going to have more of this tomorrow. You have been listening to the broadcast, and until we talk again, good luck, world.